0: Well, good morning. Isn't that a cool thing? So download the Bible app and you got the notes in front of you. <clears throat> I, I love it when I'm sitting and listening to Logan or Jared or whoever is preaching. I enjoy what, looking at those notes. I want to just mention that next Sunday, we will have as our guest speaker, uh, Jerry Thorpe. How many of you remember Jerry Thorpe? You remember, He has been one of my favorite speakers since I first attended High Street as an 18-year-old going to college, and he... He is 86 and he's coming back to preach. He says, I can still do it. So you will enjoy uh, Jerry Thorpe next week. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter seven because we're gonna be looking at verses 24 to 30. And this is really the topic. The topic is this, in our lives, we all find ourselves getting to desperate places. You know when things get scary, when the pain is intense, when the confusion is overwhelming, and we're really not sure how we're gonna survive, we kind of feel a sense of panic sweep over us. And you know, we are expert at asking God to do what we think he should do. And then sometimes, he doesn't do what we suggest. It's so interesting that we acknowledge him as God, but we still wanna boss him around. And when he doesn't meet our expectations and follow our plans, we can get confused and sometimes angry at God, and in our anger and confusion, we often are tempted to just walk away from God that 's the story we 're going to look at today. Um, I remember when my son Robert was in high school. Um, one day he he woke up and he stayed in the basement all day in the dark with his face covered with a pillow. And I went down to check on him, he says, Dad, I don't know what's going on, but I can't open my eyes. If, if I see any light, it hurts me so bad. And so he stayed down there all day. And the next day, it was the same thing. I was starting to panic and worry about this guy. And so um, <clears throat> we took him to a doctor. He, he, he described to me, Dad, any little light that comes into my eye Hurts me so very much. So here I take him to a doctor, of course, and an eye doctor, you know what an eye doctor does? He pulls out that nice little uh, flashlight and he starts looking into his eyes and the moment the light hit his eye, he literally shrieked in pain and he says it hurts so bad and the doctor finished his exam and he says, you know, honestly, he says, "I, I can't see a problem. It looks to me like it might be an autoimmune response. And in the medical community, we don't always know what to do with these autoimmune responses. I don't really know what to tell you. We have limited treatments available, but here I'm gonna give you some medicine. This is supposed to help relieve inflammation. I want you to take this medicine. Uh, and, and so we, we, were, we went home. His eyes are covered. We get home, he starts taking the medicine. Later that night, he, he, it was dark, nobody was awake. I happened to be up in the living room and he walks up in the dark and he says to me, Dad, please don't turn on any light. I just wanted to see if anything had improved and we went outside in the dark and he, he tried to slowly open his eyes but even the street light hurt and then he went back downstairs and here I am, I'm left And I am in a panic. I got on my knees all alone in the living room and I said, God, would you please not let my son go blind? Would you please help him? Oh God, we need your help. You know, I think even the strongest people, even people that aren't sure they believe in God when they get into a bad situation, there is this thing that's built into human beings that we we look up to God. We, we, we're looking for external help. We're trying to find someone who could help us. That's the story that we're going to look at today in, in Mark seven twenty four. It's the story of a woman who comes to the end of her ideas and options. She has a daughter who is demonized She's watching daily her daughter being tormented by this, this demon. This demon is destroying her life. And she, she's not a worshiper of God. She's a Greek woman. She's a Syrophoenician woman. And so she, she worships all different kinds of pagan idols. I'm sure that within her religious context, she had already gone and offered sacrifices to the idols, hoping that that would deliver her daughter. She certainly sought out the the advice of the priests, and then you know when things start going wrong, you have everybody around you who gives their, gives their counsel. You know what I'm saying? Uh, she had received all of the superstitious remedies that uh, the people around her had, and nothing was working. She was getting more and more panicked. And then she decides she's gonna go find Jesus. And what's so interesting about this story is that Jesus' response is very cold at first. He ignores her. He remains silent. I mean, Jesus was a compassionate man. Jesus was a man who had power to help, and he did. But in his response to this woman, he left her in silence for a season. And then when he did speak, what he had to say was quite confusing. It might surprise you, so let's read the story. Verse 24. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it. But he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast out the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dog's. Can you believe that's what he said to her? And she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone and her daughter lying on the bed. Now, I don't know about you, but this story kind of makes me feel uncomfortable. Seriously, Jesus? You told this woman that you can't give the food of the children to the dogs and insinuate that that's who she is? In the book of Mark, we've been asking this question you know, as as Mark uh, presents Jesus, we ask the question, "Who is this man?" and we <clears throat> 've learned a lot about Jesus already, but in this particular story, not only do we ask the question, "Who is this man, but "How do we connect to this man? How do you connect to god How, how is that possible? You know we live in a day of all kinds of devices iphones ipads we 've got um, TVs and fire sticks and Anybody experience the confusion of technology in your life? You have to ha- yeah, thank you. You have to have the right connector to, for the right appliance, and they all pretty much look the same with, at arm's length, but then you, you pull them closer, and they're different shapes, just a little bit different, and if you get the wrong one, it's not gonna connect, and so we ask the question, so how in the world Jesus says to this woman, it's not right to give the bread of the children to the dogs? I mean, what kind of a response is that? The question then is, Wow, what do you do when it seems like it's very difficult to connect to God in your time of need? And that's what this is all about. Human beings have this awareness that they need help beyond themselves. I mean, people have been looking for extraordinary help from the beginning of time. And in fact, Dr. Gary Wink, writing for Psychology Today, identifies that there are at least 18,000 different gods, goddesses, and various animals or objects that have been worshiped by humans. Spirituality or religiosity has actually, he says, been mapped to a particular brain circuit. I mean, science has mapped this out. We are prone to look for God this circuit helps to encourage altruistic behaviors and reduce fear human beings are looking for help and we are going to worship something the question is what are we going to worship and Mark declares in his book the person you are looking for is Jesus who is the son of God who has come to seek and to save the lost look to him go to him and in this story, we're going to learn not only who we need to look for, but how to connect to this man. How do you, Who is this man? How do you connect to this man? Especially in confusing and difficult times. So I've got three points because I love three, right? Okay, number one, a cry for help. That's how this story begins. Jesus had spent his time, his whole time up to this point, in the, pretty much in the Jewish provinces, His ministry was so amazing, people who were looking for help But they went to Jesus. They discovered the care of God through Jesus. The crowds grew until at this point in his ministry, the crowds were always there, always around him. It felt like he was being crushed constantly by the needs of the crowd. And even when Jesus tried to get away by himself, he usually was unsuccessful because the crowd would find him and follow him and be there once again. Peace and quiet and solitude eluded him. However, we see that his, he, he, this time he decides he's gonna leave the provinces of the Jewish people and go to the provinces that were primarily Gentile. And so he thought, I'm gonna get out of this Jewish environment, and so fewer people will be looking for me and I can find the solitude I'm looking for. However, even in the Jewish area, the reputation of Jesus had found its way. And there is this woman who was not a Jew, She looks for Jesus and boldly goes to him for help. Now she knew the customs of her nearby neighbors. She was aware that it was not acceptable for a Gentile woman to approach a rabbi, especially a very famous rabbi, Jesus. She was not a follower of the one true creator God. She did not live within the moral boundaries of the Jews. Her problem was that her daughter was oppressed by a demon. She was in no way considered clean and able to approach Jesus. The rabbis would not entertain a Gentile. She breaks all social norms, and in a bold and desperate move, she finds Jesus and asks for help. And she asks and asks and asks. Verse 26, actually, uh, is full of this reality that Jesus ignores and ignores and ignores. I'm trying to stay true to the book of Mark, but, but I am tempted to go to the other Gospels where the disciples are saying to Jesus, you know, you keep ignoring this woman, but she's bugging us like crazy. Can you please send her away? Okay, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm gonna leave that there. Okay, in verse 26, it's clear. The first response she gets from Jesus is silence. But she's a mother. Her daughter needs deliverance. Moms and dads will go to great lengths to help their children. When their children are broken and hurting and struggling, they feel it. They feel the pain, the concern never leaves them. And so she decides against all odds, I'm going to go and I'm going to just ask him. She goes into the house uninvited and falls at the feet of Jesus, begging for his help. Then we have the second thing. Point number two is Jesus' surprising reply. At this point, Jesus, he breaks his silence and he speaks to her. And what does he say? Listen to what he says. Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first, for it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Are you kidding me? This is what Jesus says? To this hurting woman? I just want to say this. I think it's impossible for us to connect to God who is transcendent and eternal, all-powerful, and whose perspective is so much larger than us and not from time to time be confused by him. Because he's God and we're not. This sounds like a harsh response. Now, it even sounds like an insulting response. The Jews often referred to the Gentiles as dogs. And we're not talking, you know, my puppy Labradoodle or Poodle or, you know, Cocker Spaniel. You know what, when they used the term dogs, that was a pejorative term. You know what these dogs were? These were the scavenger, Wild dogs that were scary and annoying. The dogs. Why was Jesus saying something like that? I love what Tim Keller says about this passage. He says this this is not an insult, it's a parable. Do you know sometimes God, in response, will lead us down a path, an uncomfortable path of discovery, where we will discover more about him and more about ourselves and gain a perspective that he has that we've missed. Tim Keller says it's not an insult. It's a, it's a parable. And the key to understanding that is to look at the word used for dogs. It is not the typical word for the scavenger dog, but it's, it's the term used for puppies, Here's what he's saying. Hey, you know how families eat. You're a mom. First, the children eat at the table. And then the puppies, their dogs, their pets, they can eventually eat the leftovers, but you don't ever sit the puppy at the table and feed the puppy before the children. Yeah, the the food will go to them, but it has to go to them in the proper order. Jesus was following the plan. He never left Israel for his whole life. For someone who has come to change the world and bring the kingdom of heaven to all mankind, it's interesting that Jesus never made a trip to the capitals of the world like Athens or Rome. Make no mistake, his kingdom would be for the world, and after his death and resurrection, when he met with his disciples on the mountain before he ascended, his primary instruction to them was, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to everybody. And the disciples who were Jews struggled to understand that the salvation that Jesus had purchased was not only for them, but for the Gentiles as well. It could be that this whole thing was informative to the disciples as well, who were glad for this Gentile woman to be dismissed. Jesus, however, told her, There's a careful order I must follow. I have to come to my own people first, and then I will send them to the world. Jesus is saying the puppies must not eat before the children. Now, as you sit there, you may say, well, I still think he's not very nice. Okay. But I want to remind you, he's God and you're not. Okay. Third, notice the clever response of this woman. This is who we need to be right here. Especially when we're confused by God or or maybe angry at God or don't like the way he's managing our lives or this world. Here's what she says. She says, she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Okay, I get it. I'm the puppy. Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Wow. What humility. What surrender. What respect. This isn't comfortable. This was a tough moment for her. But she doesn't bow up and flare up and get angry and walk away, which is what so many people do when they don't like how God is responding. Timothy Keller once again says this. In this parable, he gives her both a challenge and an offer. And she gets it and grabs a hold of it with both hands. She responds by saying, I get you. I'm not supposed to be at the table. I'm not of the tribe of Israel. I do not have the Bible. I do not worship the God of the Bible. I do not have the Ten Commandments. I am unworthy. I do not have a place at the table. I accept it. He goes on to describe how in her response she does not complain or bristle up or demand that Jesus do what she wants him to do. She moves. With humility and surrender, Jesus, I admit that I have no standing to ask for help, but I can see that you have more than enough power and ability for everyone in the world. I am in humility begging you, asking for help that is not deserved she's actually wrestling with Jesus in the most respectful way. The question is, how do we connect to Jesus? This woman gives us an amazing example of how to connect to Jesus, the Son of God, by wrestling respectfully and submissively when we don't get it. You know, the stories of the Bible include Um, Many people who wrestle with God. Um, God's not wanting us to be zombies, robots, uh, just, you know, non-thinking, non-feeling people that relate to God. Um, No, no, he he invites us to wrestle. For instance, it's impossible that we will not sometimes misunderstand God because Isaiah 55, 8 to 9 says this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Anybody want to give a testimony to that one? Nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God says, you're not going to get me all the time. I do not think like you do. And in those moments, you will either decide to fight me, walk away from me, or to trust in my goodness and my sovereignty. It's going to be up to you. God is actually not afraid of questions. Now make no mistake, he cannot be manipulated. The alternative is what we read in the Bible, to wrestle with God. It, 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 we need to stay in this conversation. We should wrestle. To hurt and struggle and cry and, and panic, but to remain in the conversation and throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus, even in our confusion, and ask for his help. You know, there, there are a lot of stories about people wrestling with God, because that's how we discover God. One of my favorite is in Genesis 18, when uh, God uh, comes to Abraham, and he tells him that Sodom and Gomorrah is so evil that he's gonna go down and check it out, and he's gonna destroy the city. And then Abraham realizes, now wait a second, that's where my nephew Lot lives. Uh, Abraham begins to beg for mercy, for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because he doesn't see what God sees. And so he begins to bargain. What a wonderful passage. God, it's not like you to, to destroy the righteous with the evil. Okay? He appeals to the character of God. He's just. So, God, if, if there are 50 righteous people, will you spare the city? And God answers Abraham in this wrestling moment, sure. And then Abraham goes again, God, what if there are five less than 50? What if there are 45? Will you spare the city if there are 45? And God says, sure. And he says, well, well, what if there's only 40? Okay. Abraham is relentless. He says, "Well, well, what about, Lord, please do not be angry with me. What about if there are... Are only 30, will you not destroy it for 30? God says, okay, I will not destroy it if there are 30. Let me ask again, God, and please don't be angry. How about 20? Okay, if there are 20, I will not destroy it. May the Lord not be angry. Let me speak just one more time. What if there are only 10? God says, deal. I'm I'm paraphrasing, by the way. But there weren't ten. In fact, when the angels went, they went to Lot. And he only pulled out three who survived. Lot and his two daughters, even his wife, turned back and was turning to a salt, a pillar of salt. Jacob in Genesis 32 wrestles with God. I don't have time to go into that story. It's a beautiful story. You should read it. But Jacob is wrestling with God in the night. It, it, this is a theophany, appears, you know, a physical appearance of God, really a, a pre incarnation appearance of Jesus Christ. And I need to get out of this because I'll get all nerdy on you. And so, but anyway, G, he, Jacob is wrestling with God. And Jacob is a tenacious wrestler. And he will not let go. And so God touches his hip. And he's wounded. And still, Jacob holds on. And he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And then God says, what's your name? Jacob. From now on it will be Israel. And Jacob says, wow, I'm going to call this place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life has been preserved. And from that point on, Jacob walked with a limp. Would you love, surrender, and trust God if in his infinite wisdom and understanding, he decides to give you a limp. My children have uh, started this Facebook video blog. They call it Life with the Lions. And um, I, I love it so much because they're my kids, right? And in, in this dialogue that they have, they, uh, they process life Uh, experiences together and once again because I'm their dad I just chuckle because I know all of the stories that they're talking about and um, recently they my other kids from California came because they were going to shoot a couple more episodes that they're going to release like it's a big deal they're going to they're going to produce it and then release it uh, on and and this next group is going to be Um, Talking about life, the life with the lions after James, my son who has Down syndrome, joined the family. And my son said this in our discussion the other day. You know, Dad, um, ever since we got James, we're, as a family, a lot slower And I thought to myself, that's so true. Yeah, we're slower. And then he said, but that's that's not a bad thing. In that slowness, we have discovered a new grace and a new facet of the glory and goodness of God. And in our slowness, we've learned to love and worship God even more. I know we're all trying to have the perfect ideal life, right? Aren't we? And then you get going and life's not perfect. And we find ourselves acquiring limps. In those moments, the question is how do we connect to God? Wrestle with Him. As this woman did Yes, I am unworthy. I have no standing. I'm a pagan woman. I do not follow the moral or religious code of your people. Yes, I am unclean. And I cannot appeal based upon my own worthiness. But I appeal, God, to your goodness. Even the food that falls off the table is for the dogs, the puppies. In our society, we are all about demanding our rights. How dare you call me that? How dare you you not respect me? Isn't this the way we live in, in this society? We don't know anything about a rightless appeal. And, and sometimes that, that hurts us in our relationship with God because honestly, God owes us nothing. And when we appeal to him, we're not gonna try to manipulate him. We come to him and we should say, God, I am not worthy, but I will not appeal based upon what I deserve or rights that I think I have. I appeal to you based upon your Goodness, I don't deserve it, but I know you. You're the God who lets the rain fall on the just and the unjust. You are the God who makes the sun shine on the evil and the good. And so even though I am unworthy, I appeal to your goodness in my unworthiness and ask for help. This this Jesus was so um, pleased with her response that he says, to her, for this saying, I mean your clever, humble, profound response for this saying, I tell you, go your way. The demon has gone from your daughter. That is the essence of the gospel. We don't preach religion. We say, none of us deserve to be saved. God, we have no standing, no personal worthiness to use to twist your arm, because that's ridiculous. We humbly appeal your mercies and your compassion and we ask for what we do not deserve the gospel is this we are more wicked than we would ever imagine we are but we are more loved and accepted by God than we ever dared hope We just need to ask. I'm going to ask you, if you would to bow your heads. Um, so, what do you need today? Where is the source of your panic? As you sit there today, what would you want God to do for you? How about wrestling through your questions, your confusion, abandoning your anger, and falling out the feet of Jesus and say, God, it's my child. God, I beg you to please help. I don't appeal to my, based on my own worthiness, I just appeal based on the goodness we have seen, because you are good, and trustworthy, and faithful, and true, and I need your I just want to ask, is anyone here in this room right now thinking of something you need God's help with? Can you think of it? Everybody's heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Would you just lift up your hand and say, yeah, this hand's going up because there is something in my life I need help with. And I just humble myself and ask for God's help based on His goodness. Um, I want to invite you to stand to pray together.